welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher. Tonight is a very special evening. We are doing an Ask Me Anything about Elves and Fairies with Cat Heath and Morgan Daimler. They've both been on the show before. You've heard them speak. And so now they're going to answer your questions. And I'll pop in and answer some as well. Good evening, ladies. Good evening. Thank you Good for evening. having us on, having me on. I shouldn't speak for Kat. Yes, that. <laughs> no, 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 speak to me. It's fine. I'll just keep stalking you. It's cool. <laughs> yes, this is a free stalking zone Kat now, apparently. Kat and I have been stalking each so. other for years. Poor, so. poor Morgan's. Yeah. Yes, so it's yeah. all right. It's all right. So... <laughs> I asked for questions and I got questions. So people's got questions. And the first one, it's actually, I think a three part question. Um, it's from Deb Fate Mental. Do either Morgan or Kat feel there's some overlap between nature spirits and elementals and the good folk? I sometimes come in contact with things that I clearly can't put in either bucket. My thinking on this is that nature spirits slash elementals are more tied to the physical earth. They may be part of the unseen world, but they don't leave it and go to the other world. And do the good folk interact with nature spirits and elementals? I'd love to hear a discussion on this one. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a ball of string. Yeah. That is a whole ball of string right there. Ooh. Yep. I mean, I hmm. think that for myself, uh, and I know, uh, Barbara, we had talked about this a little bit on the Theosophy episode. Mm -hmm. um, I do yeah. think that there's a common modern confusion between fairies and elementals that comes from Theosophy. Um, I think that for myself, I view fairies separate from elementals. But, you know, it's been used in, in English now interchangeably. Uh, for over a hundred years and in the last 10 years it's really taken off so I don't know that we can I don't know that we can put that back in the box so to speak um, I think that however my, I might personally feel about it that elementals and nature spirits are considered to be under the umbrella term of fairy um, and it's it's sort of inescapable to put them there at this point um, I would say there's a nuanced difference between them. I'm not sure what Kat thinks about it. I guess for me it comes down to um, I really dislike this drive mm. to classify other than human people taxonomically, like they're sort of like different types of animals or plants in nature. And... I don't know, like, I don't personally find it a very useful way of looking at things. You know, I, there's this saying that my mom says, and it's, I take as I find, right? You know, mm -hmm. so that's what I tend to do. If I know what a type of being is called, or I can figure out, you know, if they tell me what they want to be called, or they happen to be a particularly good match for what other people have called them, or I recognize them from folk tradition, mm -hmm. then I'm like, yeah, I think they're this kind of being. You know, it's like a shorthand to say what kind of being I'm dealing with. But ultimately, you know, I don't really like the the whole drive to classify. And I think that's really quite problematic and sort of takes away from 
just considering them as different types of people in the first place you know it, it gets mm-hmm. into like oh this is their purpose here and blah and it's like well what about their purpose from their perspective you know mm-hmm. what about their agendas so I guess for me that's what it always boils down to and I just wanted to kind of hit on the question of do fairies you know do they interact with nature spirits I think they interact with whoever the hell they want to honestly yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They're not just going to be like, you know, oh, yeah, humans. I think think they have, like all people, have a wide variety of different relationships with different kinds of other people. And, you know, that's just, and some of those relationships are hostile. Some of them are friendly. And I don't know, that's just kind of more where I'm going toward. And this could be because I have a massive sort of like knee-jerk reaction to the term elemental because I grew up with spiritualist family and I have big issues with classifying every every being that isn't a ghost or a demon, mm-hmm. elementals, or if they are kind of... Can we swear on this podcast? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <clears throat> if they're kind of a little bit shitty behaviored, sorry, shitty behaved, um, if they're like that, then they, my dad used to call him a lower level elemental. That's that theosophy. And so, mm. you know, I really, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they don't yeah. realize it's theosophy most of the time. It's like a game of telephone. It just all kind of got shoved in there and nobody really knows where it came from anymore. I mean, I've actually asked clergy, spiritualist clergy before now, and I, they didn't really know. So it's kind of an endemic issue. And anyway, yeah, I I really have like a knee-jerk reaction to that because it always kind of, and you guys really sort of highlighted it in your po- your episode about theosophy. It is this very kind of like patronizing mm-hmm. view of these other beings. Mm-hmm. It's like a way of looking down and minimizing. Yeah. And that really yeah. bugs me. So there's my knee-jerk reaction. I'm not sure if I actually answered anything for anyone there. I'm just going to say with take as you find. No, I think that I think that that brings up a really good point with the classification because there's so many aspects that get problematic because people today, and I'm sure some Mm. people in the past too, but people today in particular look at those classifications Mm. as so rigid. You know, if it's, if it's this and it's not Mm -hmm. that and, anything to do with this topic it's it gets very fluid and there's a lot of muddy stuff going on as to whether something you know is what we would call a fairy or an elf or a particular Mm -hmm. type of being within that or human dead even sometimes get I should say sometimes a a good amount of the time Mm -hmm. get muddled up into this and you know much like with looking at the names for human practitioners like witch or cunning folk or what have you a lot mm-hmm. of times it was perspective too like you know one person's fairy mm-hmm. was another person's mm-hmm. demon was another person's angel yeah. uh, and i think whenever we're trying to have these these rigid clear precise definitions it's it's always going to get messy instead it's like yeah it's like just kind of like bounce off that point you made, Morgan, about the um, one person's fairies and another person's demon and the matter of perspective. You know, this is something that I really appreciate in mm-hmm. Armin Jakobsen's work is that he talks about how, you know, 
trolls could be any kind of being at one point. Really, when a, a person was labeled a troll, it was really kind of saying that the people who were doing the labeling perceived supernatural danger from that being, that other person. You know, they, they thought that they were a source of supernatural danger to them. So, you know, I think that's a really, really important point as well. People have often labeled in accordance with, okay, is this dangerous to us? Is it not dangerous to us? And that's another really important thing to take into account. Oh, I, I, I think. 100% agree, for sure. And that's, you know, we could we could get into this too with the the concept of like the Seely Court and the Unseely Court, where people today will mm. try to act like they're these very rigid, precise categories. Either something is one or the other. Mm. And no, mm-hmm. in the past, it was entirely that perspective of is this dangerous to you? Then it's unseely, you know, unsanely, unholy, ungodly, what mm-hmm. have you. Is this possibly helpful to you or less likely to be dangerous to you? Then it's seely, you know, blessed or lucky. But they mm-hmm. were very fluid. Like, you know, one person could encounter a being mm-hmm. that they would describe one way because it was helpful to them. And, you know, the next person that might try to eat them and then they're going to have a very different opinion <laughs> of what that thing is. Yeah. And a <laughs> yes. way worse day. Very yeah. True. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say it's, it's, it's very practical. It, you, mm. it, the best way to look at it. I like both of you for looking at it in a very practical sense because I think that's how it's always been mm-hmm. in the folklore. You, you, if it's if it's harmful, well, then it's a troll. And and I I come to this. My husband's pet name for me is Troll Wife. So oh. I I take it as a compliment. Um, but you know, other people might not be perspective. The same. But. It's also oh, perspective. What? Yeah. Yes, yeah. perspective. Again, <clears throat> um, it's also interesting if you. My main problem with elementals and fairies and elves getting all mished up is the the demeaning mm-hmm. of the diminishing of the power and agency mm-hmm. by making them elementals in charge of making the flowers grow doesn't that sound harmless and sweet it just does doesn't it yeah um and and i have problems with that um yeah. i i think it's i think a lot of the questions people have come from years and years of anthropocentrism in the neo-pagan and the in folklore and all of it and i think what at least the three of us are trying to do is widen that out and look at it from a more holistic perspective look at it as a community of different types of people you know i also want to say that humans have this thing we just love to categorize things i kind of want to circle back to that um i think that there is an element here of you know the when we say that this is like liminal, right? That these beings are liminal, these practices are liminal. That that's what we're talking about. We're talking about this fluidity. We're talking about uncertainty. We're talking about, you know, things that aren't easily controlled within human ideas and the human way of doing things. And I think 
the the sort of drive to classify the drive to kind of like pin them down and like figure out what the heck they are it it's like a way of sort of self-soothing you know yeah. it's easier mm-hmm. than just sort of like being like oh hi <laughs> Okay, mm-hmm. let's see what's going to happen now. Oh, great, I'm running again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's... Glad I wore my good shoes. <laughs> <laughs> always going to wear my boots. Um, but, you know, it's... I do think that there's a huge part of this that is tied up in trying to make the scary and unknown less scary and mm-hmm. easier to, to handle, you know? But, hey... Yeah. People should go look up the etymology of Eldritch sometime and uh, then get back to us. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> That's mm. uh, Another part of her question, and I thought this was a, a very good one, was when people who do work with their local good folk travel to other places, do they need to take any precautions aside from sending out a general greeting and putting out the usual offerings? Well, I'm always taking my go bag (laughs) and I'm always going to put out those general greetings and offerings when I get there. And then after that, I'm going to take as I find, (laughs) you know, if I get a good welcome, I get a good welcome. If like I get a, all right, yeah, we'll put up with you. I get that. If I get a, get the hell out of here, then I'm getting the salt out and I'm going to make the best of my situations I can until I I can get the hell out. Everything, (laughs) everything that Kat said. Yeah. That's really it. Get there, you know, kind of established, but um, I do want to touch on something which is not exactly what, what was being asked in the question, but it's just, it made me think of it. And this is something I see a lot. A lot of witches uh, that I run across who work with or are connected to or what have you with the good folk seem to have this idea that that means they have some kind of like blanket protection or all access pass or you know, however you want to phrase it. So if they go somewhere else or they're encountering like other beings they haven't dealt with before, that they're going to be like acknowledged for this connection they have. And I don't think that's how it works. It doesn't work that way in my experience. It doesn't work that way in the folklore that I've seen. Mm. Um, I I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's important for people to understand that even if you have a really strong you know, familial level connection with beings that you're working with, you know, good folk or or what have you or anything else, that doesn't necessarily mean anything if you go somewhere else, especially if you go somewhere else Mm -hmm. that has a very different type of um, otherworldly situation Mm -hmm. going on. Mm -hmm. And related to that, you know, like, some of these groups just plain don't like each other and fight each other. So yeah. you might be the, 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 the good folk you're attached to, the good folk. I mean, when you begin working with, you know, a familiar with the good folk, you are essentially joining a hierarchy at the bottom. Okay. So you become attached to them in a way, right? Well, not in a way you are, you are attached to them. And, you know, I'd say that if you have like that amazing familial level connection, that puts you in even more danger. Then you're looking mm-hmm. like prime target. Easy target. Um, yep. But it, it's it's very well mm-hmm. tested, you know, like that they fight mm-hmm. each other, that they go to war with each other, well, you know? So, yeah, like you could be going into territory of some beings that like some, some good folk who, you know, are just kind of like, no, 
F them. Yep. <laughs> They're attached I, to that I want to give a quick example because I'm just want to make sure people listening to this are not going to mm. assume this is just Kat and I uh, having an opinion that agrees. There's actually an anecdotal account from Ireland um, from the early 20th century that does support this. Um, and I could pick more of them. I'm just going to go with one because we don't need to talk about this the whole time. But it was a gentleman who was out walking, ran across two groups of the Aishi of, of the gentry um, playing a game and they needed a human to referee just the absolute worst position you ever could be in as a human but he agreed to do it and one team won obviously and the other team lost and the team who won of course thanked him for being the referee promised him that he would have you know good luck and and fortune the rest of his life the other team however was not pleased and blamed him for their loss. And uh, three years later, he, you know, was out traveling and ran into the members of the other team again. And uh, that was the end of him. Like they, they took their revenge. Mm. So it really is a thing that we find, not just in our personal experience and all that, but, you know, there are stories about this where if you side with one group, that is fighting or disagreeing with another group Mm -hmm. that does make you a target for that other group. And just because you have friends that you have does not mean those friends are going to intervene necessarily to help you. There's, um, there's actually a, there's a post on the British fairies blog about, Mm -hmm. you know, them going to war with each other as well. Um, I can look up the link and post. You, you can post it in the show notes. People want to go check that out too, so they can see that it's not just us talking notices. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. That that is that is a thing, very much a thing. Even in um, uh, modern fiction, that happens. War for the Oaks is a good example. You have a human that has to be there mm-hmm. for the the war to happen. And she's, makes her a target. you know, sort of, ma- it makes her a target to both mm-hmm. of them. Then she sides with one group and then it's just, it becomes awful. And, you know, you read it and you, as, as you're going along, you're like, don't do that. Ah, you did it. Well, there wouldn't be much of a story if you yeah. didn't do that, would there? I All right. Also, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I was just like kind of thinking about like this whole idea of, um, you know, this sort of blanket assumption thing. Again, it, it when you think about it, it really kind of goes back to this idea about mm-hmm. the benevolence of them and, mm-hmm. you know, these, like, kindly fairies that make the flowers grow and, of course, they're going to bless everyone. Who's... And we're back to that again, aren't we? Instead of yeah. thinking, like, you know, these are fully developed people with powers mm-hmm. that dwarf ours that, you know, had their own agendas that have their own grudges and like basically like any person does. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's, we're, we're mm-hmm. kind of back to that theme again, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it always comes back around. Mm-hmm. All right. This is a, this is an interesting question. I like it. It's from Perry Peters. He said that look of surprise on their face, like they can't believe you can see them. I've heard this echoed across different types of experiences, an elf on a trail, Bigfoot in the woods, or a gray in someone's living room. Do you think this is an act, or are they genuinely caught off guard by those who can see them? I think they're caught off guard. (laughs) 
I think that <laughs> sometimes they're caught off guard and sometimes they're just messing with you. Um, for sure. I, I think that you can kind of tell based on how they react beyond that. Um, you know, if, if they mm-hmm. look really shocked that you can see them, but then they're sort of like hanging out, <laughs> doing a dance in your kitchen, you know, they probably wanted you to see them. Um, you know, on the other hand, yeah. if they look really surprised yeah. and then they disappear or beat the snot out of you mm-hmm. or, you know, what, whatever they do from that point on, if, if it's, if the response beyond the surprised face kind of reinforces that they genuinely did not think that you could see them, um, then yeah, I think they're genuinely surprised. I've only had the ones where they disappear after like looking shocked. So I haven't actually (laughs) had the ones where they're like, Ooh, (laughs) Ooh, you can see me. I I hang out on a couple, (laughs) not even a couple. That's, that is untrue. I I hang out on a lot of different (laughs) fairy based social media. And um, I have noticed a certain segment demographic who will tell these stories about like, oh, you know, I, I looked up and looking in the window was this little fairy and it looked surprised. And then I took a picture of it. If it's hanging around so you can take a picture of it or try to take a picture of it, because I'm not going to get my opinion on Peridolia going here. But if it's if it looks surprised, but then stops for a photo op, it was not surprised. Yeah. 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 Every yeah. time I think of this, I think about that time in Iceland after we went up that hill and um, we accidentally crashed that hidden folk party and we, we left and the, the hill disappeared. And um, there's almost yeah. like sounds like the Orcs of Moria. And then that voice that was like basically fessing up that it was going to, it wanted to steal Morgan. And then went back to, I, I left out some offerings in my room. Yeah, I no. wasn't going to step outside after that. I woke up in the middle of the night and I saw this figure next to my bed and right near the offerings because I had it on the bedside table and this figure just kind of was like was like, and then disappeared just kind of like looked at me kind of like startled almost like looking yep. like where the, where the hell do I go now this I human can see me and then disappeared that. and I described this kind of being to Morgan the next day I was like I think it was a troll like in yeah. the later sense right and then they will. They said to me, "Well, you know, this is what they look like when I saw them." And I was like, "Yeah, it was like this bear hunchback thing, thing going on." Like, I don't remember how I described it, but it was just like this solid figure, which made the kind of like <laughs> yeah. whoop, whoop, extra funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> right. They didn't make that noise, but that was like in my head when I saw them do that. That was the noise yeah. that happened in my head yeah. when I watched, <laughs> and. Yeah, it was one of those moments where I'm just like, "Oh my god, I'm fucked," <laughs> and then this this being just looks way more like, "Oh my yeah. god," and then they disappear. I'm like, yeah. Wow, whew. I remember that. Um, <laughs> I think that the only so time I've funny. ever seen one that seemed surprised it was actually me, my friend um, who owns a store, a local store, and our other friend named uh, David and. It, it looked like it's the only time I've ever seen a classic twee looking fairy too. It was, it was big. It was the size probably of like two, two hands put together winged. It looked like a moth, but it had a little man body in the middle. The friend who owned the store only saw a giant moth, 
But myself and my friend David both saw it as this humanoid figure with these huge white moth wings. And it had come in and was kind of like by the front door, by the ceiling, just causing chaos. And the three of us are all kind of looking at it, pointing. And David pointed at it and said, you. And it got this really startled look on its face and just dropped straight down and disappeared. And I think that's that was a case of it. I don't think it realized we'd be able to, at least two of us would be able to see it as what it was. And as soon as mm. he was like, you, it was like, oops. <laughs> and... <laughs> I best do something completely inconspicuous, yeah, like dropping down, disappearing from the floor. <laughs> yeah, not even going to pretend to be a moth that. anymore. <laughs> not going to bother trying to fly out the door. Yep, just yep, going to disappear just, from the floor. You just noped out. <laughs> That's not oh yeah, and it was it all. was big enough. Like we looked, it was <laughs> completely gone. Yeah. <laughs> So that's the kind of that's the kind of stuff was between what Cat said and, and my story. That's what I expect them to do when they're actually surprised. Yeah. On a yeah. note with a being seen thing though, I always kind of got mm -hmm. brought up to not to to not let them know that you can see them. That that was my I don't remember who told me yeah. that, but it was like a big thing when I was yeah. like younger. Like don't pre that's... pretend you can't see them. And so I spent a lot of time like as a kid like I can't yeah. see that. I can't see That's that. It's a look at big else. thing in mm -hmm. Ireland and with the Irish yeah, American diaspora yeah. as well. And I was raised with that mm. too. Um, and hence my comment about if you surprise them and they beat the snot out of you, because <clears throat> there are definitely a lot of stories mm. about people who could see the other crowd when they didn't think they could be seen and make a point of saying, I can see you. And then like get, get their butts kicked, literally yeah, physically mm. kicked. <laughs> Yep. That's or why blinded. I was scared. That's why I was scared at first when I saw that yep. that being next to my bed. <laughs> it's like a bit too close. I can't even run away <laughs> at this point. I don't think I'm wearing pants. <laughs> you know, at that point, pants don't just you know, just run. <laughs> you know, and I don't trust a, a gray looking like it's surprised. No, they're there mm -hmm. to kidnap you. Just. <laughs> just go to your safe room or something if you see them looking at you all surprised they're not surprised yeah it's a good question folded. though <laughs> all right that is a good question okay from uh phil freeman for morgan what are your thoughts on the Findhorn and the authors associated with it or on Findhorn and the authors associated with it Dorothy McLean, R. Ogilvy, Crombie, and Marco Pagasnik. I think these folks are communicating with nature spirits, something that I have been trying to do for a while. The American offshoot Lorian Foundation gives courses on dealing with the she. I think this is part of the mistaken appropriation you discuss, although I'm not sure what they're doing. But the original Findhorn folks are interesting to me. So he, he wants your opinion on um, the fine horn peeps. I mean, the second part definitely sums up my opinion, yes, um, on the, the offshoot. And I yeah. think just yeah. the term she in general has been like horribly misappropriated uh, in a lot of communities and contexts. Mm -hmm. But um, the fine horn people, I do think that there's not just them, but there's various groups um, quite a few in England and then uh, several on the continent who are in touch and or you know in communication with something um, not what I would term 
classical or folkloric fairies, although they often call them fairies. Nature spirits might be a better way to describe them um, because they do seem to be more along the lines of the, the small uh, n- nature type of beings, uh, the ones who are very concerned with the, the human world environment and, and that sort of thing. Um, so I do think that that's, it's some sort of genuine communication, um, but I would agree it's not necessarily with, when we would, when I would use the term fairy, I would probably be talking about something slightly different, um, getting back into those categories and, and slippery slope categorizations. Uh, so, I mean, I wouldn't say they aren't genuine, uh, to be fair, there's, there's, quite a few people out there who, you know, um, write or talk about things they communicate with that I would not say the communication isn't genuine, but I would say the label that they're putting on it is not, um, I don't want to say not genuine, but not accurate. <laughs> we'll say that. <clears throat> yeah. Not, not what you'd not put on it. Not what me or the entire yeah. population yeah. of Ireland would put on it. Not that I speak for the entire population of Ireland. Let me quickly yeah. clarify. I'm not trying to say that there. Yeah, I don't, I don't no. want a bunch of Irish people, like, you know, sending me emails. I, I do in, not in speak Irish. for I'd Ireland or the Irish population. But I, I'm, in that particular case, I would be in agreement <laughs> with the population of Ireland. He would also not call it whatever that person is calling it. She, generally. Yes, yes. Um, and then he, he, he left a comment. I think I've been attempting to communicate with the nature spirits around my neighborhood for some years now. I set out the traditional offerings, including whiskey, etc., and ask that we be good friends and neighbors. I sometimes also give offerings when my cat goes missing and ask for his protection. So far, this has been granted. I don't have second sight and I haven't seen anything except when I was lost in the Utah mountains and hadn't eaten for three days. So yeah, he has plausible deniability on that one. Um, But I do sense them and they seem to like me playing my guitar for them. But I think these are nature spirits I'm dealing with and maybe not the fairies. I haven't been to Ireland, but I did visit an ancient dolmen in Spain. I had brought some biodegradable snacks for an offering, but did not leave them as my son-in-law thought it was weird. However, on leaving, we got lost on winding back roads that led back to the dolmen. I insisted then to leave the (coughs) offerings, after which we found our way Mm -hmm. clearly and quickly. I think this is one time I did have a run-in with what you all call fairies. Anyway, thank you for this very interesting topic. I would definitely make a note there that if you bring an offering to leave and then you don't leave it, that is sort of a breach of etiquette. So I'm completely not surprised. Yeah. I really appreciate it. It's like, <laughs> yeah. get back here yeah. those snacks. <laughs> I really yeah. appreciate that angle. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought that was, I thought that was, that was, you know, we don't care what your son-in-law says, sir. Mm-hmm. You I'd brought it. i really curious. It. Oh. Mm-hmm. And, and now I, I think he'd just do it anyway. Which is good. To heck with um, he I'd said. be really curious mm-hmm. what he saw. Because After he learned. three days of not eating, because um, I understand the, the rationalization at that point, but 
Um, that also can be a way for people to engage the ability to see mm-hmm. things. Um, things like fasting, for example, mm-hmm. that's a very classic mystic approach to um, getting in touch with mm-hmm. the spiritual. I do not encourage people to stop eating again. Being try to be very clear tonight so I don't get in trouble with anyone. Like, please continue eating. It's good for you. But it's certainly a classic method uh, that people will use for, for mysticism. Um, so the fact that after three days of not eating, he, he saw something or had an experience. That's um, interesting. Yeah. It's also kind of common in um, survival situations that people will, and this is actually really well documented, they're um, like different explorers, different survivalists. They'll talk about, you know, they had, they're in a situation and they suddenly yeah. gained another party member mm-hmm. who would encourage them and, you know, kind of make them feel safer and help them to get out of it. And I yeah. forget what it's called now, but Sixth man, somebody posted maybe? about it. Yeah, I, Something I know like what you're that. talking yeah. about. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's, um, it might be worth looking into because. And who knows what these are, these visitations, apparitions are. You know, maybe it's some kind of like lizard part of your brain telling you that you're seeing this thing. Or maybe it's, you know, within heathenry, we might think that this is one of our ancestral spirits mm-hmm. coming to help us out. You know, one of the kind of ones that watch over us. Or maybe it's some being like some kind of like local other human person that's kind of like, oh, yeah, I'll help them out. Um, yeah. But I don't know about that last one, honestly, because I got talking to a friend about that and she told me that she had that experience one night when she stayed in a really creepy forest okay. in the Bridgewater Triangle. Oh, so, well. Right. She stayed the night in the Bridgewater Triangle on her own while camping and she felt the presence of another person around the fire with her and she felt like this person was there to help keep her safe. She felt other things in the forest beyond, but she felt like, you know, so I don't know. I tend to feel like it's not necessarily where you are that these mm-hmm. beings come from. Maybe they're kind of connected to you mm. or your group in some way. It's, it's called the third so, man, mm-hmm. by the way, <clears throat> that you can see that. But yeah, third man. There we go. I almost said second man, yeah, but that man, didn't make any sense in my head. Yeah. Hit- yeah. The, the other thing that's interesting is the native people out west in various tribes when they do a vision quest you had to go out in Mm. the wilderness up in the mountains preferably if there were mountains nearby and you didn't eat for three days and you stayed there and then the spirits would speak to you you would have a visitation you would have communication so when he said you know he was lost in the utah mountains for three days and didn't eat it was kind of like, well, those mountains are used <laughs> it, to that. It opens up a lot of possibilities. <laughs> you know, this, yeah, there's all kinds of, of possibilities. And I do have a friend who was mountain climbing in Spain, um, and he and his friends got lost. And they had, you know, they set up their tent to sleep, and, and then they were going to start out in the morning. And he saw a light, and outside of the tent so he poked his head out and there was a woman standing there and she just gestured in a direction and he said you know go that way and she nodded 
and disappeared. And when they woke up, he said, well, she said, go east. Uh, so that's what they did. And I like that they were desperate enough to be like, yeah, sure. Okay, well, yeah. we'll follow apparition, apparition lady. She might yeah, be directing know, right? us to a, she might be directing us off a cliff, but you know, at this point we're just desperate. Yeah, so I know. Right? We're just gonna, we're just gonna follow the, the apparition lady. Well, yeah. <clears throat> It would have been his fault because he, he was. The and one to who me, saw that her, so. that would be reminiscent of like an ancestral spirit in that situation. Mm. Hmm. I'd definitely be going off what I felt from the spirit. Yeah. You know, like I think that's really your biggest guide, isn't it? Like, what, 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 what are my non-brain senses telling me here? Like, mm-hmm. not your brain. Your brain will get in the way, but like, how does my body feel? Mm-hmm. You know. The, the body is full of wisdom, like, especially your gut. You know, like, are my hackles on? Are my hackles up? Yeah. You know, do they look harmless when my hackles are up? Like, is my lizard brain going, mm, I don't like this? Um, what What's my gut doing? Is my gut churning? Or do I feel kind of like, okay, I feel kind of safe with this person? Right. You know? It's I, the I same think, way with humans. Yeah. You're just other humans. Again, people. They're just yeah. different people. They're non-human people. Just, more powerful than us and can you know make us disappear and like send our body parts and old boots back to be found later by random hikers good times sorry i just went off we get, we're getting like missing 411 <laughs> territory now <laughs> i know oh, yes right? all right the next question is for cat this is from this is from vuk Vuk says, what are the main differences between elves and fairies? Yeah. He's from Bosnia. So his, his uh, fae creatures are different, and he wants to find out about yours. So it depends which elves you're talking about and which time period. Because mm-hmm. the thing about elves and, well, I'm going to start with elves because that's the easiest place to start. The thing about elves is that the way that humans have conceived elves has changed a lot throughout the centuries. You know, like the earliest sources about elves, and again, this also this also varies geographically. So, for example, England, the the old English sources, the elves, they, you know, they they have a lot of similarities with the the Irish as she. So, like, you know, they. <clears throat> But they differ in some key ways as well. For example, um, elves originally were male. The We can actually trace when female elves were created by some scribes trying to gloss uh, numinous beings from classical sources such as naiads and dryads and whatnot. So, you know, you'd have like a tree elf, a wood elf, a sea elf, you know, because even though those beings were female elves, in the early English sense, were notoriously beautiful. So, you know, like this, these like liminal beings who are beautiful as hell, what do we do? Hmm, we're gonna gloss them and we're gonna create female, feminine versions of a word elf because the elf, word elf was originally masculine. <clears throat> so that happened around, I think it's like the eighth century or something. We can actually trace this. When you get into Scandinavia, things are different again. You have gods or elves you have um in later years you have like from like the 13th century onwards you have more like the land spirits that live in the rocks in iceland that's when you start to see those guys um you have you know more kind of like the um 
that then you start again more into like Landsberg territory in Scandinavia, but then going back to England, because this is where we get into the fairy elf confusion. The word elf was kind of replaced by fairy to describe the same beings, right? So these elves with the lady counterparts as well, the same qualities getting described using the word fairy. I've read some um, I've read some papers talking about how fairy was initially adopted because the sort of like Norman nobility were trying to write French alliterative poetry and they needed to be able to gloss some words so like Thurs became goblin and um, elf became fairy. But you know, we were looking Morgan and I were looking at um, Google Engram today. And it kind of traces and mentions of different words through books, like in books through time, mm -hmm. beginning with 1500s. And you can see in the 1500s, elf was still being used way more than word fairy. Mm -hmm. And then fairy goes, sorry, elf goes down and then fairy comes up. And what happened was, is that they started to become classed as different beings, even though originally they were just describing the same kinds of beings that had, were felt to have certain traits, or we think that's what happened. Um, so, yeah. What's the difference between them? I think it depends on the type of elf you're talking about. I think it depends where the elf is from. I think it also depends what time period you're talking about. And uh, in short, it's really not an easy answer. Yeah, I can't just be like, well, elves were green and have pointy ears and, you know, have nice little red hats and live in rocks. That's on, I can't do that. You know, there's lots of different ideas about elves and it also depends on which group of elves you work with. You know, I specifically work more with the sort of Old Norse, the Norse kind of like Old English elves, so like those mm -hmm. of the group that I work with. So, yeah, for me, the more like gods... A lot of them are more like gods, or they're more like the, like, Aishi, I think, yep. I forgot to say that now. Uh, Aishi. They're more like that for me. Um, and I don't really, again, it's like I take as I find. You know, if I find that kind of, like, power level, those kind of, that sense that etiquette is worth something, and you have to be careful what you say around these beings, mm -hmm. you know, there's also the quality of shiningness, like being shining in some way. You know, um, then I'm going to watch my ass. I'm be very careful. Mm -hmm. I, I really don't like, you, you see a lot of this idea that like, you know, elves are more chill than fairies. You know, they're, they're not going to hurt you. They're like safety ver versions of fairies. And yeah, sure, there's some stuff that I think the alpha will overlook that the eshi wouldn't ever. You know, like they have a very different sense of humor. But, you know, you really can't just be like, oh, yeah, they're totally different. They're safe. You know, they're not these diminutive. If I remember, that was Shakespeare who started that business, the diminutive elves, but like the fairies having. Or was it? Do you know that one, Morgan? I read about, I read a paper about tracking it in. Oh, well, now I want to read that paper. The Significant Other by Jenny Bergman. I'm going to yeah, shoot it to you. Mm -hmm. It's by Jenny Bergman. It's called The Significant Other. And it's looking at elves through English language literature throughout the ages. And it's really awesome. She goes all the way through from Old Norse, Old English. She goes, she even brings in Irish and Welsh sources as well. 
She talks about going up neath. She talks about um, Finn McCool. She talks about like these ideas of like, <clears throat> I forgot what I was going to say there. But anyway, she goes through like, you know, the different, um, sort of like the French influence, the into the Tudor period. It's awesome. And then she ends up at Tolkien. I don't think she goes quite into the current crop of UF, but, uh, you know, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's not any, it's a simple answer, but it's also not a simple answer. You know, I wouldn't, I also wouldn't try to draw strict delineations between them. You know, I, yeah. I would feel comfortable calling, you know, the beings that I would associate with being fairies or elves. I'd be comfortable calling them elves, honestly, you know, cause that's how it used to be used anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At least in English, you know. I and always again, assumed screw that, taxonomy. That, yeah, I always assumed that it had to do with the Norman invasion, mm. because fairy comes from French and mm. Alf is Old English, Norse, Saxon. Mm. So I always figured that somewhere something maybe you know when English became English by being squished with. Anglo-Saxon and French and Latin and I think when we all of those other things when we look at the makes our usage, grammar so it's a little more complicated than that. Um, definitely, fairy got brought in yeah. to the French, the Norman influence. Mm. Um, but and Kat and I were just talking about this today. Actually, there's this really fascinating <laughs> pattern you see with the written material <clears throat> where elves was by far the more popular term um, up through mm. actually past. Yeah, seventeen hundred. Yeah, past sixteen hundred, and then it, like sixteen hundred yeah. to like seventeen fifty, they're not totally equal, but they're very close. Elf and fairy, for which was being used. Yeah, synonymous yep. use yep. period. And then we it's only about. after yeah. about seventeen fifty that we start to see fairy really being sort of the dominant term, mm -hmm. and elf being less so. And there's also that whole period from you know, pretty much uh, 1400 uh, when Chaucer starts using it to um, really that 1700 period where, you know, elf might be used as a noun or an adjective. Fairy might be used as a noun or an adjective. So we see references mm -hmm. to like um, elfish fairies and, you know, all sorts of, of stuff <laughs> that if you're looking at them as rigid categories are not going to make any sense. But if you understand that this is mm -hmm. um, a, a changing, some, it's called a semantic change. If this, you understand this is a, ch a language thing that the terms are synonymous and we're sort of going mm -hmm. through this development period for which is going to be yeah. the preferred term. Now we see Fay, which um, has come about in the last mm -hmm. 20 years, which is yeah. what started the whole Google Engram thing mm -hmm. <laughs> yesterday. Right. I think like as well, it's back to this whole, and I think it's a very modern thing where we, there's this discomfort mm -hmm. of not having a solid label. Mm -hmm. You know, like people, during, I mean, you mentioned that period earlier where they were synonymous, they were used, being used synonymously at the same time period, if that graph is right, at least in the literature. And, you know, to me, and like those combinations of like elfish fairy, and that just shows that, you know, they, they were very comfortable with that kind of uncertainty. You know, they're just like, well, there's nothing I can do about it. You know, I'm going to tag this on to this word. So hopefully give somebody a clue about some of the traits that they might be encountering. Yeah. Um, 
you know, like that's, I think that's a way more yeah. useful frame of looking at it. You know, when I think about Elfish Ferry, I'm thinking, well, are they using that to say that the ferry was small or are they using it to say that ferry was hot? You know, mm-hmm. given the older sort Probably of like the connotations of, you know, the older associations between yeah. elves and hotness, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. now, yeah. I mean, me- the People are just kind of like... Yeah, we also together. have a, a 1580s <laughs> reference in Scots, but to, to Elvish Incubi. So there was a lot of... There's mm-hmm. a lot of crossover that was happening. Um, and I, I agree with Kat. I think that it's because the terms were synonymous, but it was also people who were just kind of throwing terms at the wall, so to speak, because these were not beings that were super mm-hmm. specific. Um, you know, you would call something a fairy because you didn't know what else to call it. And elves yeah. are also yeah. like, I mean, in One second. this like exorcism from like early English, the yep. the elf Satan. Yep. Satan was called an elf. So like, <laughs> and then when you get into like these sort of like early modern witch trial records, like Wilby talks about this, you know, there is a, um, you know, this sort of like, murky area between fairy and demon and devil mm-hmm. and you know what are, what are they dealing with how much of that is people just throwing words at the wall how much of it is influenced from people you know recording confessions you know that kind of like continental witch narrative that came in you know ultimately how much do people really care <laughs> you know yeah so it's always been a murky thing it's never been something that's like except for like really early on, I think, you know, and even then I, my, my personal take is that it described uh-huh. a set of traits versus, um, versus like being any like taxonomical taxonomic classification in the way that you might think about it. And those initial traits were male, sexually deviant in some way with, when compared with the, the sort of like ideals of the human inner group, the other one was like, you know, the, like they're magically skilled usually. And there's like an association with like shiningness, whiteness as well, <clears throat> and beauty. You know, like in the Old Norse sources, there are more elves than what people tend to think. Ex- that you can kind of tell that they're elves because of how they're described. Like Heimdall, he's described as being the whitest of the Aesir, you know? And he's then in the same in the same source, the same poem, Thrimskvida. I can't speak, I need to drink some water. Thrimskvida. He then is like, hey Thor, why don't you put on a bride's dress and you pretend to be Freya and marry that giant for his hammer? And then Thor is like, oh hell no. That'll everyone'll think I'm I'm Arg and I can't have that. Just get away with you, Arg Kuti's Heimdall. But that would have probably been like, well, at least in my opinion, given what we know about elves in that time period and how they were seen, yeah, that probably would have been a big signal that like, hey, yeah. Hemdal was an elf. And especially because he was also called one of the Vanir. And Vanir mm-hmm. is used s- simulta- synonymously with elf in four uh-huh. instances, you know? So, and then like Volander, obviously an elf, he's associated with like, you know, being beautiful and not... Being sec- and being sexually deviant in that, you know, he doesn't go along with their ideas of what men should do. His wife goes off. 
she is um, having all these adventures. He doesn't go to go track her down like a, a real man would do. Bond is just like, nah, man, I'm cool here. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna chill out. Or home, wait, wait to get to kidnapped. Come back. I'm good. And yeah. I'll wait to get yeah. kidnapped. Yeah, That's like fair. that wasn't his plan. You know. <laughs> That's true. That wasn't his plan. And then within these like narratives, and you see it with Frey as well. You know, he trades in his sword. It's this masculinity thing again and again and mm-hmm. effeminacy. He he trades in his sword. You know. Skernia to give together, so like when he's like doing, he's like, Hey, you better marry my boy Frey, or I'm gonna curse you to be horny as hell and have no control over it. Um, so she gets his sword, and then Frey dies at Ragnarok because all he's got to fight with is an antler, and that is shit. Clearly, not the best weapon choice ever. Um, yeah, Volander, he is hamstrung, he doesn't do the, the manly thing, so he's hamstrung and he's forced to produce weapons for his enemy and again it's like this losing you losing your your man card you lose and you have to kind of regain it through being a violent asshole so yeah (laughs) there's a it's a whole theme yeah so it's like human social judgment on the effeminate qualities of elves and yeah good times anyway sorry sorry to the question questioner (laughs) that's okay book will think it's great Trust me, he will. He wants to know from Morgan, what are fairy mounds and how did they become associated with fairies? I mean, I think the majority of time people think of fairy mounds, which is she, is what the word she literally means, is otherworldly mounds, otherworldly hills. Um, A lot of people associate them immediately with the cairns, the old um, Neolithic burial sites. Um, sometimes also some bronze and iron age uh, archaeological sites, but it's it's much more expansive than that. I think it just happens that a lot of the more popular, well known ones, um, like Sheenbroga, uh, Newgrange, um, happen to also be these cairns. Um, but you also find them kind of all over the place. They're just any sort of unnatural looking hill is a place that can end up being associated with or being called a she, a a fairy mound. Um, We certainly have ones that are not burial mounds. We certainly have ones that are other things are going on there. Um, I don't want to get, I'm going to get on a whole tangent about that. So I don't want to just focus on that aspect of it. But when we're talking about what the fairy hill is or what a fairy hill is, it is some sort of clearly or apparently unnatural seeming hill or mound um, that is strongly associated in folklore with the good folk. Really what makes it a fairy hill, um, fairy now is what it would be called in uh, um, Scots, is that it's associated with the good folk. So we do actually see perfectly normal hills. Um, Breleth in uh, Arda in Ireland is a very large mountainous kind of hill. Um, but there's nothing about it that you would look at it and say like this doesn't look natural. Um, Nachma in Galway is the same. Um, the fairy now that uh, Reverend Kirk had his Reverend Kirk kidnapping by the fairies moment on is similar. Um, it's not an archaeological site. It's nothing like that. It's just it's a hill. It's a natural hill. But it's associated with these stories. It's connected 
to these um, stories. It has these associations where people have for generations believed that the good folk of some sort or another live in that place or that place acts as a, a doorway or a gateway between their world and the human world. So when, we, when we're talking about what is a fairy hill, really that's what it comes down to. It's a place that is associated with these stories mm. and with the idea of being a home <clears throat> or a, an entrance for the good folk between the worlds, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. If you walk past a hill and you hear music coming Or, out, you know, a doorway cool. opens up. Um, there is... Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Or it's yeah. up on uh, columns yeah. and there's that, light That actually reminds me that the, the you know, Shia of people in um, Tulsk in Roscommon in Ireland is inside a cave. So they're definitely not all hills mm. in the, the classical sense and definitely not all right. man-made constructed hills. Mm. Mm. All right. And he asked me, as a non-Irish, when you encounter the other, what about it makes you feel it's related to fairies and not another type of entity? Yeah, see, that's a good one. Um, I know how Morgana would answer it. If it looks like a fairy and smells like a fairy and acts like a fairy, it's probably a fairy. Um, <clears throat> and honestly, as Kat said, take it as it comes. If, if it seems like what I was taught was a fairy and it's acting like that, well, then that's what it is. And that's good because I know the things to do. And so, you know, that's fine. I think fine. the point is, though, that you should always be polite. Yes, always. And respectful, like, regardless of what kind of being, like, what kind of other human person you encounter. Because yeah. it just saves a lot of trouble down the line, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, generally, if something non-human comes up to me it, it is the best to be mm. polite um never run from an immortal it only attracts your attention yes. um that's that's a good one mm. that's a it's a useful one and uh yeah just just be polite it even says that in the bible essentially you know thereby people have entertained angels unaware that's why you allow strangers who come to your tent and are you know dying of thirst and whatever you <clears throat> yeah, hospitality. do you want to others as you want them and to so, do it to you yeah yeah and be careful with your speech in general you know, if yeah you, if you suspect you're dealing with an other one of the other regardless of whatever category you want to try shoving them in you know, just be very careful with what what you say, like the words you use, and you know, like don't worry about whether you can do play, like whether you can do flowery speech or not. You know, it's best to be it's best to be simple and plain with your speech, and to not mm -hmm. make flowery traps for yourself with your mouth. Yeah. Always, because if there are loopholes and there are a mind to exploit them, you're just going to give them loopholes. You know, you're always better just being plain with your speech, direct, not giving too much away. That's not like, mm -hmm. and also like, don't try to have a hidden agenda. You know, I really feel like they can sense that, you know, like try to really sort of cleave to your core values when you like 
your virtues. Try to be a virtuous person. Yeah. <laughs> you know, don't try to trick them or, you know, don't lie to them. If you lie to them, it's not going to go good places. They don't like either of those no. ideas. No, it's not a good thing. Okay, so from Fred Morrow, he says, I recall an episode where Morgana related an event from her childhood where she slipped into a creek and saw one that looked half good folk and half squirrel. And as she made her way home, a sizable branch was flung at her. My question is, should you happen upon one in a similar situation to what Morgana experienced, what should you do to show it respect and not get something flung on you? on your way home. Uh, I think my answer was you shouldn't have let on that you saw him. But I mean, she was 12, 13. Yeah, 13. What's a kid gonna do? Also, that's a pretty startling sight. So yeah. unless you're yeah. used to seeing someone who is like half their folk and half squirrel, you're, you're probably gonna react regardless. Yeah. I think your yeah. best bet at that point is to kind of like, be like oh, Please excuse me. I didn't mean to intrude. I'm sorry. And if you have anything to offer, give an offering and say, please accept this as like an apology. Um, and then hope that they don't still fling something yeah. at you because I was it's just no gonna, guarantee. I was just going to say it's yeah. also important yeah. to keep in mind that sometimes nothing you can do is going to change, mm -hmm. you know, the, mm -hmm. the reactions. You know, there are, much like humans, there's a lot of diversity and personality going on. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you just run into something that's a cranky, grumpy, mean sort of thing or wants to eat you. And, you know, that being the case, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. Always be polite anyway, but politeness isn't going to change the fact you're going to get a stick thrown at you. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to no. say it. I'm just going to say, it. I think yeah. that went fine for Morgana. Uh-huh. Because she walked away no. and didn't get killed, right? No, I, I, th I think the, I think it was just a warning shot. <clears throat> I, I do think, and this is like kind of going off what Morgan was just saying about, you know, sometimes there's nothing you can do. There is this idea that, and again, I think it comes back to fear. You know, there's this idea that, you know, if you just handled it this other way, then it would be different. You know, that there's always something you can do or like maybe if you were better at being a witch and more terrifying and everything in the forest is afraid of you because you are the witch, you know, um, maybe then that wouldn't happen. But no, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes they, they're just like, no, nah, screw you, human, you know, and all you can do is just roll with what happens and hopefully you make out okay. That's, yeah. you know, we, we really need to kind of, I think one of the biggest things about working with any of the other crowd is you have to accept that it might not go well. You have to accept that it is dangerous. Mm -hmm. You can get hurt or killed, or you could just go mad and you know, your life would really suck then. Um, there isn't any such thing as a perfect interaction. There isn't any such thing as a perfect practice. And we really need to get away from that because I think it's actually a really harmful sort of trend that we have in the yeah. pagan witch heathen communities. You know, it causes a lot of people to keep quiet about the times like Morgana. You know, they'll keep quiet about mistakes they made, if if they are even really mistakes and not just they happened upon a being yep. who was like as grievous human. Yep. You I've, know? 
So nobody talks about mistakes. And mistakes are like the best thing I for learning and teaching with. I think part of what underlies this, and, honestly, yeah. is, and this is something I've seen repeatedly in the more new age fairy belief demographic, we'll just say, um, there is definitely a very pronounced and blunt attitude that if you have a <clears> negative experience, it's, it, it is your fault because you went into it expecting negativity mm. or you were open to negativity or you projected that negative. So it's, it's a lot of victim blaming, really. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, oh, boy. But I, I was at a conference. <laughs> no, that's our I favorite, was at a conference our in thing. 2011, I believe. <laughs> Um, and I was on a panel with some, with several people, uh, and I had said something about, you know, you do have to be cautious and sometimes these beings can be dangerous. And someone else on the panel was very quick to cut me off and be like, oh no, no, if anything bad happens, it's because you're not properly prepared and you're bringing something <laughs> negative into your expectations. Like if you expect fairies to be dangerous, then they can hurt you. I'm like, trust me, they'll hurt you whether you expect them to or not. Um, you know, I've told this story before, but my son, when he was, I want to say three or four, um, was outside in our yard. And one of the big things is you're not supposed to say that you don't believe in the good folk or that they don't have any power. And he, he was three or four. He was very young. And he very loudly was like, I don't believe in that. And I was like, you need to come back over here with me because that was not a smart thing to say. And as soon as he started walking towards me, a, you know, a good sized branch fell from the tree and landed exactly where he had been standing, scared the crap out of me. And, you know, this mm -hmm. is a, a child. He, you know, it wasn't like he's an adult who hasn't worked through enough of his negativity. He was not expecting that mm -hmm. to happen. You know, people just really mm -hmm. have to understand that you have to take the human centricism out of anthropocentrism out of the equation mm -hmm. and stop thinking everything revolves around humans and what we put into something or what we expect to, to come out of it. Mm -hmm. Like these, these beings, as Kat said at the start, they have their own agency, they have their own agendas, they have their own personalities. And when you have encounters with them, yep, their, well, their own, own cultures, cultures when you own... have your encounters with them, yeah. you know, no matter, you can go into it expecting nothing but, you know, rainbows and fluffy kittens and that's still not going to prevent potentially something negative from happening. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm with Kat on, you know, Morgana actually mm -hmm. ended up fine. Um, yeah, she fell off of the log she was crossing to get across the creek and got dunked in the creek, got coated in slime and mud and, and water, and then took off running. And the the branch didn't come near her it was yeah, just done her. to frighten her mm. i could tell and 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 then she got home and then i yelled at her because i had told her not to get herself completely scunged up because the laundry wasn't quite done and so you know she comes tries to come running through the house that has white carpeting that wasn't my idea we bought the house with the white carpeting i would never have done that and i said you stop right there <laughs> and you take off your clothes on the deck and then <clears> you come in <throat> and why are you and she told me well i saw this little man and i was like just just, just go take a shower just <laughs> go take a shower we'll discuss this later and she took it as that i didn't believe her i did believe her 
because there was all kinds of weird stuff in those woods. So I believed her, but it didn't negate the fact that, you know, I had just mopped the floor and, uh, you know, she didn't have clean clothes to get, you know, changed into. So when you lived in my area, was it? No, no, this was in Patascala, Ohio. There is weird stuff where you live, though, because we (laughs) live very close to there. And yeah, there's all kinds of things happening over there. That is a very active place. My street's ridiculous. We're down to three questions, ladies. Octavian wants to know, what are the benefits of having a fairy or elf as a familiar? There are many rights to gain a fairy familiar, but I hadn't even heard of elven familiars. Are there rights for this as well? And if so, where could one find one? (laughs) I mean... I think we'd have to define what a fairy familiar is just at the start because it's not, I suspect, what a lot of people are mm-hmm. assuming it is because we have this sort of pop culture idea that the familiar was this servant spirit who helped the witch and aided the witch's work, which is not entirely wrong, but no matter how... What c- it's also yeah. a grimoire yeah. idea as well, yeah, isn't it's it? Very it's very ceremonial magic. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. you know, fairy familiars, the yeah. evidence mm-hmm. we have for them is they were usually assigned to or given to a witch by generally the fairy queen or fairy monarchy. And they were not mm-hmm. serving the witch. <laughs> the witch was serving the fairies. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. fairy familiar was sort of the mm-hmm. uh, middle management, I guess we could say. Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of benefits to having that connection. Uh, particularly, they'll they'll teach you things. Um, and there were quite a few cunning folk mm-hmm. who credited their entire careers to having a fairy familiar who gave them knowledge of herbs and things. Um, but the human was not at the top of the food chain in any sense. They they were at the bottom. Um, and there's several Scottish witchcraft trial accounts where the the witch talks about that she didn't want to go to the the fairy meeting that day. So her familiar, like, Mm. you know, physically struck her repeatedly or, you know, that she terrified her and forced her to go. Um, And that illustrates where the human versus fairy familiar were in this situation. So I think Mm -hmm. we have to come at it with that understanding before we even get any further (laughs) into this conversation. Yeah. I think a good analogy to think about it would be, um, Kind of like if you're in a castle hierarchy, your familiar is like a knight and you have a squire. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're doing all the, the cleaning and crap and learning as you go. Um, you're not anyone big. And I just like to say that that is actually really protective. You know, you don't want to be higher up. You don't want to be like, you know, dealing with the court stuff. You know, this is gnosis completely, but. I'm quite happy being at the bottom. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I'm quite happy being where I am. <laughs> so um, I, I think people get very, well, humans get very um, sort of ambitious <laughs> about mm-hmm. where they're going to land I'd... in that hierarchy. And they yeah. don't want to be that I, ambitious I think about it. I'm just going to be really blunt that everyone can <clears throat> hate me. It's fine. Um, I, th- I think too I many people have read too much fiction <laughs> and mind you, I love urban fantasy, but if you're, if you're thinking of yourself mm. as like the main character in this story where you're going to be the, the, you know, fairy queen's BFF and marry a prince, 
and your familiar is your big bad yep. fairy boyfriend big bad yep. fairy boyfriend trait um trope, yeah trope. and i think that when when you're coming at it from that mentality and you're assuming first of <clears> all you have plot armor which you don't in real life and second of all that you're like essential you are the chosen one in the story and that is 100% mm. not what's happening. And, and Kat's analogy is a good one because squires mm -hmm. are interchangeable in a lot of ways. If a squire doesn't work out or gets hurt, mm. you just get another one. You know, the knight was the one who mattered yeah. <laughs> in the situation. They're like the sports car yeah. of the, you know, Middle Ages, medieval period. Um, whereas the squire was like the, the support crew. You can have a bunch of different support crew as long as, mm -hmm. you know, the, the main being is working. In. And the humans are just not the main important being in the story, so to speak. So, yeah, I think whenever we're talking about familiars, all of that has to be kept in mind. Um, and I, I personally, yep. you know, I am a big advocate for consent of otherworldly beings um, unless you're in a situation mm -hmm. where they're actively trying to harm you and you need to do some banishing or do some binding, mm -hmm. which I, I always see as a last resort. Um, you know, these are, are people, mm -hmm. non-human people, but these are people and you have to respect mm -hmm. that. Um, so I, I'm personally not an advocate for um, the sorts of rituals and ceremonies we find in the material, which are very coercive towards mm -hmm. giving you a familiar. Um, if you want to get one through the Fairy Queen, that's not a good idea either, but yeah. that's not a good idea for totally separate reasons. The um, the ritual in, well, one of the grimoires I've read, it's the uh, Grimoire Verum, and it's a Diabolist grimoire. It's all like, oh, here's the unholy trinity. Call up Lucifer for this, or maybe Satan for this. Have like, speed these dial. demons here. Um, Beelzebub for these demons. Apparently, Beelzebub, he's the one that will vomit fire or summer if you mess up the ritual. Really sounds like someone you want to mess with. Um, also, there's Astaroth as well, and then they have obvious spirits underneath them. And one of the spirits is gives good familiars. I don't remember who it is. It's been a while, it's been a hot minute. But that kind of mirrors what you see with like the fairy royalty giving familiars, except it's coercive because you're using all these different prayers and magical formulas to make the head demon appear in the first place and force them to give you a familiar. And, you know, even when it's kind of mirroring what you find in folk tradition a little bit, it's still coercive. Um, and I don't know, like, when I started reading those grimoire. And I always find it really disappointing, personally, just me personally, when I see witches taking these rituals and adapting them because they want familiars. I always find that really disappointing, you know? Um, kind of like, oh, come on, man. And especially when they say, I'm an animist. Yep. That's not yeah. a very animistic perspective, you know? What the That's a person. <laughs> you know, what, what do we call it when we, we, yep. we take a person with their consent? And yeah, make them do things a, for us. There's a word nice for word. that. Um, no. It's not a good word. It's not a word we want to be like associating ourselves with. So, you know, I always kind of like that. I really think that we need to be very careful to mm -hmm. sort of like separate these ideas. You know, um, I just kind of wanted to outline those ideas a little bit because 
you know, Morgan talks more about the traditional view of things with the, you know, the familiar who, you know, usually given to a witch by royalty or, you know, passed on by another witch. Um, and I just kind of want to sort of like draw a bit more of a difference between those two ideas because I see the ceremonial mm. thing kind of mm. cropping up more and more and more. It's getting popular. And I think the only me. actual decent invoke or, you know, ask for familiar ritual I've ever seen is on Chilling Adventures of Sabrina where she yes. she goes out and she does a ritual yes. but it's asking for she explicitly yes. respects yeah. his consent um, mm -hmm. yeah and she has that whole argument with the about with doing her, it um, yeah. Zelda because that's it. not the way it's yeah. supposed to be done you yeah. supposed to pick them from the catalog. Yes. Um, but I yeah. think, you know, for modern witches, if, if you really want to engage in that kind of a relationship with that sort mm -hmm. of spirit, you're much better to emulate that particular television show um, and the ritual that she did uh, mm -hmm. than to use something out of ceremonial magic. Um, again, because I, I personally am a big advocate for consenting spirit relationships. I also think that um, you need to have, you need to start building relationships with the group of beings. You know, like you need to, you can't just come out of nowhere and be like, hey, fairy royalty, give me a familiar. I'm human, I'm awesome, please do it. Um, no. You know, you can't be like that. You, this usually, I mean, it's either spontaneous that people used to encounter their familiars. So something about them and who knows what it was, right? Something about them was like, the the fairies were like, yep, we need to go get that human and be like, hey, <laughs> swear oaths to us, <laughs> screw off uh, Christian stuff and uh, we'll get on with stuff. Or, you know, like I, I mean, well, I think a better workable model for modern humans who kind of want to get there is to, you know, build relationships slowly carefully you know not with expectation because if you're trying to use them as like vending machines they're going to get pissed at you and the whole thing with the elf familiar going back to the point about you know those terms were synonymous at one point those terms didn't really you know like they're not as different as what people think they are now or they weren't as different as what people think they are now and so for me with when anyone asks me, how do I get an elf familiar? First thing I say is, I can't guarantee you get one. All right? There are no guarantees here. But a really good place to start is start offering to Frey, the god Frey. He's the, the ruler of Ulfhamer, which is you know, realm of the elves. And yeah, if, and again, don't, don't have expectation with him. Don't have expectation. Just like go into the, go into it, you know, just, trying to like, you know, found a good relationship. Uh, you know, there's a term in, you know, Old Norse that got laughed at a lot in like the 2000s and it's full tree. Got people laughed at it a lot, like, cause people are going around going, oh, I am a full tree of Odin or whatever, right? But it is an actual term from the old sources and it means fully trusted one, at least in that context. It can also mean like, you know, someone who takes care of you in a business, like in a customer service sense now. But it's like fully trusted one originally. And 
one thing about relationships is that, you know, we always expect the God to be our fully trusted one, but we don't really think about how we should be their fully trusted one as well. So when you got when you try to create these relationships, when you try to find these relationships, you need to be aiming to be as fully trusted as what you want from them. You mm-hmm. know? And then maybe, just maybe, just maybe, you might end up with an alpha familiar. But I can't guarantee it. I'm not gonna guarantee it. Uh, what I'm hearing is you Good treat luck. them like people. <laughs> yeah. You treat them like people. <laughs> and how do we make friends with people? We don't do it by knocking on someone's door and being like, hey, would you be my slave? <laughs> do we or do going this? To their, or going to their boss at work and being like, can you make such such body my slave? Yeah, it, it's not how it's done. It's not it's, at all. And I, I think that expecting a spirit of any sort to want to have contact with you predicated on you wanting to be above them in a hierarchy is just see i think we're getting back into some of the issues with theosophy in in modern paganism mm, yeah. witchcraft because um, theosophy yeah. very much did have the attitude that humans are above these spirits including fairies mm. and i think if you have that mindset then maybe it does make sense to assume of course these beings want to do this, you know, um, the more new age approach says that these are like guides and advanced spirits and they want to help humans out of altruism, I suppose, you know, but. Or because they'll ascend to the next <laughs> yeah. level in this vague hierarchy. Um, but I think, yeah, yeah. The, the I don't want to use the term reality, but, you know, reality of this is that uh, it's, it's about relationships, like Kat said, and it's about friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the time and mm-hmm. understanding that just because they're familiar doesn't mean that they're your servant so much as that you do certain things mm-hmm. for them and then they do certain things for you based on your particular skill set and their mm-hmm. particular skill set. It's reciprocal. I think a lot of people miss mm-hmm. out on the reciprocal part. Mm-hmm. And I, I find the framing of the question really interesting as well. Like, what do you get you know what can you like what can it do for you to have a fairy familiar yeah. there's no consideration well what can i do for them you know that reciprocity doesn't go both ways even in like the mindset of how we think about how most people think about it i'm not like trying to highlight this particular person with a question because the question mm-hmm. is framed in a really common way mm-hmm. you know like it is a very common way of thinking about this you know they're just probably repeating what they've seen elsewhere or like you know they haven't really sat down and thought about the implications of that question but you know it's uh yeah there has to be reciprocity you can't come at it with this sort of um, entitlement complex you know you're so you're human so you're special so you get this you know you're the chosen one you're the main character um there's just all of these different things all of these different f- elements yeah. like sort of well <sighs> just tumbling around like a ball <laughs> of ferrets fighting or something. <laughs> I love it. Um, and that I is, think when yes. we talk about reciprocity too, and I just want to mention this because this is something that I have seen people talking about familiars say, this does not mean that you just give them an offering once a week. It's not like watering a houseplant 
where you just have to, you know, <laughs> a couple drops of blood or a little bowl of cream or whatever once a week. <laughs> and they are then obligated to serve you in every single thing you do in whatever way you tell them to do. That is not reciprocity. <laughs> no. Um, no. So just to be clear, mm -hmm. you know, if, if you really want to go down this road, just be aware that it is uh, a more significant commitment I think that a lot of people realize. Mm. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And again, reciprocity is something that humans and society mm -hmm. and culture is built on. That is what we as humans, that's, that's the glue that holds us together. That's the social contract. So, you know, if you've taken like sociology or anthropology and you know the terms, you know, social contract, reciprocity, mm -hmm. think about it that way. Mm -hmm. Honestly, if, if you can think about it that way, if you can think about it as a even as a kinship type of thing that, you know, you know, <laughs> again, just think of it as a relationship not as it would be more comparable to like getting a roommate that then yeah yeah but don't oh, forget yeah. the power differential at the same time uh, yeah you know like the, there are lines like you you can like you know you can kind of like have like a good sort of like working relationship with your familiar you can like joke and learn from them and stuff but there are definitely lines and you can't cross them you know there are lines yeah. that like you know don't exist with other humans and mm -hmm. you know you have to you have to just respect that you know they 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 will if you have a positive i don't want to say positive negative if you have an amicable relationship you know if things like you know you guys get on you know you are going to it can seem like that that line isn't there anymore yeah but you can't forget that you know you can't kind of become overly familiar mm -hmm. you can't forget that you're the human here and you know this knight just happens to like the squire and you're like more useful than maybe the the yeah. past three other squires or something i'll i'll tell you a story yeah. i don't often share um so i've been practicing witchcraft for a long time um started when i was 11 or 12 and i did have a very familiar situation when i was about 14 and i said something this was in a random moment uh, i was hanging out with a friend who was also into witchcraft and was aware of the spirit's presence and i said something very insulting <laughs> i was 14 in my defense Ooh. but he left and was gone for 10 years. Which to him, I'm mm. certain in, in that perspective, seemed like a perfectly reasonable, yeah. Like gone for half an hour. Perfectly reasonable minor punishment. <laughs> yeah. I, as far yeah. as I knew, he was, uh, he was gone. I had insulted him and he was gone forever. Um, when I was 24, he did come back. But I think that it's important to understand when looking at who has control in these situations and, and the hierarchy and all of that, it, it isn't humans. And if you mess up, if you are insulting mm -hmm. or controlling, or you try to do something that um, they don't want to participate in, 
um, or just say something really stupid in the heat of a moment, um, then mm. there's going to be consequences for that. And that might be consequences that to mm. us seem very extreme. You know, 10 years is a long time for a human. But to them, mm. you know, it's a very different perspective. So I think it's, it's important to yeah. keep all of this in mind when we're talking about this subject. Mm -hmm. Question for you, Morgan. When you are talking about themselves, do you get a sense that when you're kind of like edging towards like the edge, like the line that you've been listened to, and it's like, oh, I best shut my mouth yes. and wind this back? Because I definitely get like, oh, I'm being listened to now. All right, I need to be quiet. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's that. If you if you have yep. these kind of relationships, pay well, attention and I to think that. part of the mistake I made at fourteen <laughs> was that I missed that warning sign because um, I de I felt mm -hmm. the increased attention and the the focus. My friend who was with me felt it as well, um, but I mm -hmm. just plowed right through it, <laughs> you know. Um, and I get well, and I think this I get back to learn. something Kat was saying much earlier about <laughs> trusting your your gut trust your feeling when it starts to feel like something's not right mm -hmm. here like the energy's getting weird you know don't just try to push through it mm -hmm. or make a joke which is what i did and that was a mistake you know listen to it and be like okay maybe i need to reassess what exactly is going on here um mm -hmm. yeah for sure i have also had moments where i was typing something that was not to be shared mm -hmm. and my whole computer will crash um, I yeah. have had the power go out in my house for just long enough for my computer to crash for no discernible reason, um, all sorts of things like that. So I do think mm -hmm. that they will make their opinions on things clear. And then if, if you push and try to keep doing mm -hmm. it, there's going to be consequences. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I've had that happen as well with like writing stuff like I'll write something down. And it's like, oh, yeah. no, that can't go out. No, that that's not. And then the stuff where I'm OK like they're fine with me saying it to Morgan or like mm -hmm. another friend of ours not public um, but no one else yeah yeah not yeah. not in public it can't be public it's like only certain people that you can that's yeah. okay to share with and sometimes it's like share this with them you know you have to tell this person this um you know like that's another thing yeah. you get as well I mean when I get that feeling that like maybe I'm edging into that don't go their territory. Usually I'll just kind of like acknowledge it. I'll be like, okay, I understand. I apologize. Okay. And then I'll just kind of wind it back and, you know, yeah. find something else to talk about. <laughs> yeah. That's, and that's a good way to, to deal with it. Yeah. Okay. Two questions left first from Marco. And this is an interesting one. Actually, they're both really good. Uh, Marco says a, how broadly can one apply the concept of the Fae outside of Celtic or European folklore? So are there equivalent beings outside of Celtic and European folklore? And how does one deal with this? Again, humans love to have the, mm. the names and putting the names on the boxes and <laughs> the categorization. Humans also like to kind of claim ownership of like other than human peoples too yeah in, in a way you know uh, i think 
I think that, you know, there are what we might call overworldly beings all around the world. Mm -hmm. When we are talking about them within their local, like within context, we need to try and know their names, like what they're called locally, you know, because this is the thing. Yes, humans do not, human cultures do not have ownership over other than human peoples, right? But by the same measure, throughout time, the peoples who have, in, the human peoples who have interacted with them, there has been like etiquette and knowledge and relationships built up over time. There have been practices built up over time. And so I always try to use the local terminology because those beings have, you know, presumably yep. become used to being called that. You know, so mm -hmm. if I know it, I'm going to use it to respect for, you know, that tradition that is there. And also, you know, that may be what they prefer I think anyway. For myself, I think there's some value to a degree in, for communication purposes, in using equivalent terms, translating terms. There's also a huge problem with that, which we see with the word fairy. You know, the Aishi mm -hmm. in Ireland, um, Shioga, mm -hmm. are the English term for that is fairy, but fairy has so many assumptions that come with it, especially now. It can be very misleading. Mm -hmm. um, the mm -hmm. Korean uh, dokebi mm -hmm. is often translated as goblin. It's it's like more of like mm -hmm. a demigod. Um, it's it is not at all what we. Yeah, what we what we English speakers would picture yeah. when we hear the word goblin, that just happens to be the closest equivalent for when they were making the dictionaries. Mm -hmm. um, the same thing with Yozhang um, and fairy. It's, um, you know, rough, very rough, loose equivalencies. But if you start just using the mm -hmm. word fairy to replace all of these other terms, you're losing all the nuance all the folklore, all the stories, yeah. all of everything Kat just said, mm -hmm. those built up relationships. And mm -hmm. you're also layering on top of that some misconceptions and assumptions and that, that yeah. gets very, mm -hmm. um, very problematic, I think. And especially because like, I mean, fairy in a lot of, for a lot of people mm -hmm. is interchangeable with a she. So, you know, like it's kind of become it's kind of become like it's getting like tighter in terms of how people consider the word and then people argue about like well a fae is different from a fairy yeah spoiler and, it's not you know like it's like pe it's not but like <laughs> people it's like people are kind of um chopping things up into ever more specific boxes and so you know words like fairy are kind of instead of just denoting a being who is an other than human person um, who perhaps lives in like a different layer of reality or whatever, um, instead of just like like a, a humanoid, basically humanoid, other than human person, um, it, it's become a lot more specific. It's become a lot more mm -hmm. specialized a term. And yeah. so it's actually lost its well, usefulness in a lot of ways to kind of like be like, oh, even fairy-like now. You know, this fairy-like being, yep. even that is getting sketchy now because the the concept of what a fairy is has become so sort of like, you know... Well, this this is the irony down. with the word fae gaining popularity over the last 10 years or so. Yeah, um, right. Which is another thing we were just talking about um, over the last couple of days. 
the term fay is the original old French, which was brought into English into Middle English mm-hmm. technically, and became our word fairy. So they are synonyms. They're they're literally the same word in two different languages. Um, but the word fairy got so specific and and so twee Disney Tinkerbell mm-hmm. um, that people started looking for a word that would mean general otherworldly being. And they went with fae, which is just the root of fairy, um, but then tried to argue that fae and fairy are different words and that fairy is this specific thing and that fae covers this whole broad mm-hmm. category. Um, and there's, there is some irony to me in that, that we, we over-specified this general term yeah. so badly that we had to reinvent the general term yeah. by going back to the root for the general term. <laughs> but the... <laughs> This other general term might also become overspecified out of use as well because people mm. also use it as a pronoun, yeah. a neo-pronoun. Yeah. Yeah. So there's so many layers here, you know? And it's a person's oh, name, Faye. So, it, yeah, it gets very yeah. complicated. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have the other meaning of Faye, like, you know, yeah. somebody's Faye, like the doomed to die. So, mm-hmm. you know, like there's... There's a lot going on. I remember the days, I remember the days, well, I don't personally remember the days because I wasn't alive, when people tried yeah. to avoid using these words <laughs> and looked for new words that didn't refer to them so explicitly. But now people are like, no, let's just get even more specific here. It's, <laughs> let's just like, really nail this down. It's funny that you mentioned down. the Fey doomed to die, which is F-E-Y. I, I did a bunch of charts mm. recently comparing word usage and sort of the evolution of which words we prefer. And I can't do... Fay, F-E-Y, or F-A-E, um, because that's a Scots word. It means from before a certain date, mm. or it, it's, it gives you the skewed idea that those terms were used much more often. Um, and you're going to assume for fairies mm. when it's actually because it's, it's when we're seeing more Scots language printed material um, and yeah. also the use of fay in the sense of a person doomed to die. Um, and the way that the word usage has changed and then kind of continued in the language, I think that's something people need to be aware of, <laughs> you know, that these, these words have a lot of history and a right. lot of kind of complicated nuance to them. Yeah. yeah. That's what happens with uh, anything that's, that's betwixt and between. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. words the just change anyway, you know, language is so fluid. Yeah. Um, but when you, when you're talking about s- spirits, otherworldly creatures, people, beings, then you're, you're just going to have all of this. Well, it it's this, except when it's that. And, and then on every other Tuesday, it's this other thing too. You know, you're gonna <laughs> have that. It's gonna happen. But only if you're wearing <laughs> or blue no pants. pants. That's, yeah. that's how I feel when we're trying to find the word elf <laughs> because elf is another one that has so many meanings and contexts and regional variations. And mm-hmm. I'm glad that Kat got that yeah. question. Yeah. It, it's a really, it's a really rough one. Um, you know, like. The fact Jenny Bergman had to write like something like a two to three hundred like page dissertation yeah. on the whole thing, you know, there is a lot of material there, um, and which is why I, I 
tend to just stick to the period and the, the location because that I do because, well, that's the group that I work with and they're right. the ones who I need to know about. And, you know, like, having said that, though, they're not completely unrelated. You know, I remember in Iceland, you know, we we stopped at this place called Graubrock, mm-hmm. like this volcano, like, place. And all the tour group went off to go explore and Morgan... This like our friend Vivian and I, we went to this you know this big rock that Vivian was Alpha like. I'm pretty here, sure yep. this is an elf church. So we stood in front of it, and first of all, it was a cold day. We were literally chasing a snowstorm up, like yep. trying to get ahead of a snowstorm up north before we lost the ability to drive because this is Iceland, and Iceland Iceland's so hard. Um, so it's snowing. It's cold. We are stood in front of this rock, this elf church, and it's warm. We are warm, mm-hmm. you know, and I am looking and I'm seeing this like this big wooden door open into this warm looking hall. And these kind of like <laughs> curious dudes like looking like these humans like looking at us, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and they were kind of like it was like a vibe of like, you know, they're not the same. But they're related, you mm-hmm. know, like there's some familiarity there, but they're not exactly the same. There's kind of like yeah. some DNA there, some shared DNA, if you want to hate bring it back to like physical terms. But, you know, the, you kind of have to have that attitude as well. Like there are some similarities still and, you know, they're not completely unrelated. Yeah. You can't just chop them off completely, you know, mm-hmm. just be like, this is my bubble, you know. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's it's super complex. And... I, I've written so many damn words about elves just within the context I, I study them and work with them. So, you know, I really don't want that kind of like research creep. Yeah. Of like everything else, all the other elves. Yeah. All right. The last question is from Ed Vanoy. And he said, please tell us more about the fairy doctors. What role did or do they play? That's a complicated question, too. <laughs> um, yes. They so are. fairy doctor is an English language term, obviously, that was used in Ireland. It was popularized by Yeats and Lady Gregory, which is, or Lady Wild, my bad. Yeats and Lady Wild, um, which is super sketchy to begin with, because... <laughs> Um, both of them are not the most reliable sources of folklore and Yeats does just straight make stuff up uh, in multiple instances no offense to everyone who adores Yeats out there wonderful poetry mm, folklore not so much so we don't actually know if fairy doctor existed as a term prior to Yeats and Lady Wilde in the uh, 1880s 1890s deciding to write it down it seems to be an English language equivalent to what would be called Manafasa or um, Banfasa, wise woman, wise women. Um, it's, a, it's a little loose of an equivalent. Um, the way they described the fairy doctors was very specialized, that they were sort of these experts who were friends of the fairies and um, would help people who had, you know, fairy problems. <laughs> basically. 
Um, the Bonfassa wise woman was a little more general. Um, she would help people that had fairy problems and, and deal with fairy issues, but also with a multitude of other things. Um, and then it gets even more complicated because, mm -hmm. again, as always happens, one person's Bonfassa was another person's witch. And, uh, you know, whether they were or were not helpful to the community was often a matter of a person's perspective. Um, Yates and Lady mm -hmm. Wilde made a, a big to-do about how witches were connected to demons and were evil, but the, the Bonfassa, the fairy doctor, was connected to the good folk, um, which is extremely ironic because the good folk were not necessarily seen as sunshine and light, and a lot of things that the witches did, the good folk also did. Take the form of a hare, steal milk from cows, mm -hmm. steal butter. Um, so there is a whole muddle that's going on with this. Um, as a modern term, I have seen some modern practitioners uh, latch on to the term fairy doctor. I'm, I'm personally not a fan of that. Um, fairy doctor was not something that you would call yourself necessarily. Um, and it's not something that you would be trained in. Um, per se, what evidence we have, which again, super sketchy, Yates and Lady Wild, um, is that you would either be taught directly by the fairies, mm -hmm. that's who you learned from, um, which is very similar to the Scottish cunning folk and witches that were accused that worked with fairies. Mm -hmm. um, or you would learn directly from your parent who was also a fairy doctor. They, One of them, I can't remember if it's Yates or Wild, had a whole big thing about they could only pass the knowledge down to their direct descendant um, and they couldn't speak of it to anybody else um, and the other one was like you they never told anybody nothing <laughs> they didn't tell anybody anything um, mm -hmm. that it was like super secret they learned it from the fairies and they, they took it with them when they left the world uh, so you know the idea of <laughs> I like how you put that <laughs> left Not the died, world left question the world. mark um, so the idea of, of modern humans, you know, giving themselves this title or, you know, being certified as fairy doctors, which is something I've seen. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just not personally something that I, uh, would, would be a fan of. Um, usually if you're called a fairy doctor, it's other people call you that. Not that you yourself Mm -hmm. necessarily would call yourself that um you know obviously cunning folk did advertise and call themselves cunning folk it was uh literally a career for some people but it seems to be a slightly mm -hmm. different case in ireland from what i've seen um you know you weren't so much jumping up and making a big deal that you weren't some sort of esoteric practitioner it was more that mm -hmm. people just knew and you would have a <coughs> reputation for it. Mm -hmm. So, mm. yeah. That sounds like where I'm from. Like the uh, sort of cunning folk in, because my home county, Lancashire, kind of famous mm. for witches. Like we had like the pen of witch trials and just the whole county had this rep for being full of sluts and thieves and uh, Catholics and witches and stuff. Yeah. So not much has really changed, honestly. Um <laughs> But back at this, there's this wonderful paper. I don't remember who it's by, but it's in this book by Robert Poole about the Lancashire witch trials. And 
she actually talks about the other Lancashire witches, the ones outside of the famous Pendle witches. And she talks about a lot of what Morgan was just talking about with the um, how, you know, people would go to the cunning folk for things. They, they didn't advertise. People knew who they were. And, you know, they actually were very important in their communities because when you consider how much a doctor would charge back then mm-hmm. versus how much, you know, one of the cunning folk would, people were still going to see the cunning folk mm-hmm. into like the 19th century where I'm from, you know, and people would refuse to give their names. And even when a cunning, like there's one example of a cunning woman who she's been hired to figure out which witch has put a curse on this one guy and she knows who it is she figures it out and this guy's wife because the wife knew where to find this cunning woman the wife is like well who is it and the cunning woman is like i'm never telling you that i will take that to my grave basically um there was this real culture of like secrecy like they they protected them in a sense as long as they didn't cross the line into becoming you know considered harmful and even then, that line was so kind of, you know, it could change. Mm-hmm. The um, One of the, well, both of the main Pendle witches, um, Elizabeth Southerns and uh, Anne Whittle, they were both known for their, their healing capacity. They were both mm-hmm. known as like healers and basically cunning women. But they were also witches. They were also known as witches because... You know, they would they were known for fucking your shit up if you pissed them off. Yep. So mm-hmm. you know yeah. just to put it mildly. Um so yeah, it's it wasn't as you know, you read these continental narratives about witchcraft and you know, but you did get these like these other places where people were quite happy to just mm-hmm. be like, Yeah, no, yep. they they do that. We need them, you know, as long as they don't cross that line. Or as long as somebody doesn't come in and convince them all that these people are evil. Mm-hmm. And then as well, like, you know, in Lancashire, it was tied up in folk Catholicism too. You mm-hmm. know, Lancashire was very kind of cut off in a lot of ways. And so a lot of people carried on being Catholic and they carried on using charms and praying to saints. And a lot of the charms that were used are actually very similar in format to what you find in the old English mm-hmm. magical medical manuscripts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they... I think folk Catholicism preserved a lot of stuff. And I think you see that in Ireland as well. Like, I, I don't know even a fraction of what Morgan knows about Irish sources. Um, but that's my impression as, you know, somebody looking in with just like a cursory glance, you know, that folk Catholicism, you know, there were certain practices that the church just kind of overlooked. You know, you're going to like, was it sacrifice a chicken on like seven... Michael's on uh on St. Bridget's Day you would uh, if yeah there it was a was divination it? thing um which clearly all good catholics were doing oh i thought it was when we marked the door with There's, like <laughs> yeah all well good catholics i mean it could be uh St. Martin has <laughs> there's killing a goose and then there's also Oh, one, it might it. also be St. Martin Mess with um, yep, bleeding the cattle on the she. You would take them to the fairy mounds and bleed them mm. as an offering mm. uh, to the good folk. Which is yeah. very Carmack saga yeah, yeah. as well, isn't it? You know, like the guy who's sick and like, you know, go bleed, go take some bull meat and spread it all over the mound and put some blood on there as well. And well, cool. it makes them happy. <laughs> um, but yeah, in bulk, they're... 
there was a practice where it you works, would the ashes at night and uh, look for either her footprint, mm-hmm. Br- St. Bridget, um, or the goddess Spreege, depending on what you believe. Mm-hmm. Look for her footprint or the mark of her wand in the ashes. And if, if it wasn't there, you were supposed mm-hmm. to take a black chicken um, to a three-way crossroads and sacrifice it and bury it to apologize for whatever you had oh. done that had caused her to skip over your house, basically. That the the black chicken thing reminds me of a curse removal um, from Lancashire, where basically you horrifically murder a black chicken. Um, I'll have to dig up the details again because I read it and I was like, what the hell, guys? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it involved killing a black chicken. It was essentially kind of like putting all the yeah. badness onto a black chicken and yeah. killing it. The, the inbox thing it's is the scapegoat. Yeah, that all of the sins yep. of the, the inbox thing is definitely. Um, by yeah. the way, I, I want to be clear because I realized I was a little confusing. Oh, okay. that. Um, but it very well could be yeah. the same thing because you had to be. It had to be a black chicken. Yeah, like converting yeah. evil because clearly of thing. you had some bad yeah. energy or something going on if the saint didn't visit your house. So you had to <laughs> do something about that. So yeah, folk Catholicism. Yeah. you gotta love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to dig up that um that ritual for you because yeah. it is pretty. You know, uh, I love wild, wild folk rituals. <laughs> wild folk rituals. I, well, yeah, I, d- I wouldn't really do them, cool. but I yeah. I love studying yeah. them. <laughs> no. <laughs> Just an aside, guys. If you ever want to make an, a so-called animal sacrifice, hmm. bread figures are really yeah. good standing. Yeah, and they're really yeah. old standing yeah. as well. You know, make a bread yeah. man. Make a bread boar, bread chicken. Definitely. Get some food coloring. Yeah, and I will say for, not that we've gotten completely off topic here, but yeah, you like going to the grocery store <laughs> and buying a chicken breast does not count as a sacrifice. Do the bread. Mm. The bread's the better option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you have to make it. You have to hand shape mm-hmm. it. You put yourself into it. Yeah. Yeah. I do a lot of bread offerings for the uh, for the elves that I work with, um, and it goes down well. It, it mm-hmm. really does go down well. So, and some like local spirits where I grew up as well. There's this one place where I used to go, and I used to always leave a bread man. There's like this triangle of birch trees that I once saw this woman at. She actually was trying to get my attention, so I actually acknowledged her, and um, we end up sort of like. I end up like you know bringing the things and stuff, nice. little bread people. So, yeah, it's uh, good times. Yeah. Well, those are the questions, and thank you yeah. both. This was fun. I hope people learned some good. We stuff. We definitely covered a lot of ground. Uh, we did. We did. We did. We did. Um, I'm actually surprised there weren't any uh, questions about changelings. So glad there weren't. That That would have been two hours all on itself. (laughs) I know. Thank you, everyone, for not asking that. Thank you. Question about changelings. The answer is no. Oh, my God. Yeah. That That could be like a Halloween uh, Bring Asbestos Pants episode. Super (laughs) spicy. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that'd be so, that'd be a light, yeah. Yeah, for real. Yeah, that's a good one. That gets people really head up. Yeah. Head up. I'm just just really, I'm just really impressed that there weren't any questions on that. 
and I don't know, I kind of feel like the moral of the story or the moral of the episode over and over again was treat yep. other than human people like people. Mm-hmm. You know? I think that's like, leave that anthropocentrism behind, treat them like people. Well, yeah. <laughs> people that you're trying to treat well. Yeah. Okay? Let's, uh, let's, let's specify put on your, human put people. Put on your good manners. Treat put them on your like, going to grandma's yeah. house manners. Yes, yes. Treat them like human people that you treat well. And, uh, You'll have yeah. a better chance of making it out all right than yeah. any of the other nonsense that you see Agreed. about. And yeah. don't worry so much about the labels. Definitely true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Take as you find. Pay yeah. attention to your guts. Yeah. Good practical advice. Oh, and that's yes. another thing. I just Th- wanted true. to... I'm very unpractical today. Um, sorry. Um, so anyway, the... Uh, the point you were saying about the witch, the fairy doctors, just kind of circle back to that. And the whole thing where, like, you know, there's a lot of kind of a overlap between witches and fairies, like the activities of. Just a point for you about the, um, oh, no, go away. Just a point for you about this kind of, like, overlap. And the gut as well. One of the things in the old English sources and I think I remember reading this in one of Morgan's papers on academia.edu about the Irish materials, is that they don't really try to disambiguate between you know, the symptoms caused by a magical attack by other humans or attack by other than human people. Mm. Okay, the symptoms are essentially the same. And often these symptoms, at least this is what you know Alaric Hall argued for, mm. Is like torso pains, gastric distress. So mm-hmm. if you're getting a gurgly tummy in a place and the vibes are off, it could be that, you know, you're having a reaction to some kind of beans that are there. So just be aware of the stomach factor. My husband, his stomach is very sensitive to this stuff. You know, we used to go to our friend's house and they have very active other beings there. You know, my, my friend literally has to pay them a, I think it's like a, a dime every week so that her car doesn't go, like, yeah. get a flat on the yeah. same wheel every time. It's got to a point where the mechanic is asking questions now. It's that common. I shouldn't laugh, but... So, no, but it's... it's. She kept having it happen. She's like, Kat, what do I do? And I'm like, well, just try giving them some money. Like, do a whale and smithy on it, you know? See what happens. And then it stopped. And so she's been doing that when she remembers. And when she forgets, then she gets a flat. But, um, yeah, like my husband, he would get this really bad stomach there. And one day I'm thinking, this has got to be because of, I mean, there's a portal, that tree up, there's a portal. And, you know, there's all this other stuff going on here. So I'm going to go up that hill. And mind you, I was a little bit drunk. So I was like, I'm going to go up that hill with some offerings and I'm going to have a chat. So I went up the hill with some offerings. I had a chat. I came down. He was out of the bathroom finally. And then for months after that, he had no issues. And it's like, I paid the toll for my husband yeah. to not get diarrhea at that house. So That's good. Just pay attention to like the the, the gut, especially. You know, it might not even be like you're encountering a being. You know, It could just be you've come to a place and mm, something's a little bit, you know, the vibes and your stomach are just kind of reacting. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if you get that, it's worth, as well as thinking about what you've been eating, 
it's worth kind of like going pouring out some offerings. It's never going to hurt yeah. to pour out some offerings. Yep. Can't hurt, might help. Mm. <laughs> See, we both said yeah. the same thing at the same time. Can't hurt, might help. <laughs> and like go bags. If you have like, you should have a go bag if you're a witch about witch about in the world mm. um, or some kind of supplies in your bag. They don't have to be yeah. massive. You don't have to like have like a big box ritual witch kit, whatever. Um, you can just have like a, a little makeup bag in your purse or like your, your little, you know, your shoulder bag and, you know, have some simple things in there, have some offering substances, have some black salt. Cause that's a really good, you know, mm-hmm. sort of thing to have, have some string, you know, sh- mm-hmm. people underestimate string. String is like the Ayurveda salt of magical tools. In my opinion, it's mm-hmm. like, that's a term like the egg laying wool milk female pig it's like we all seen singing all does it all farmyard creature really it does it all so like string is like that you can macgyver tools with it you can do all kinds of stuff with it um and just kind of like you know like morgan said before go to offerings first go to appeasement first only get you know only get nasty Mm -hmm. when you know for options yeah i see way too many people that go right to yeah um, binding or banishing or trying mm. to be very aggressive. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Just... <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that doesn't go well. Always, always try to be nice first. Yeah. Why is my hair knotting all the time now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Morgana, you know, she, she one of her last times that, that she had a an incursion in her house. She'd been reading under the covers because it was warm under there. And she popped her head up and she said, I saw rectangular shaped eyes just hovering a, f- a few feet away from the bed. And she said, I looked at him. She said, I could have gotten upset about it. Could have told him to go away. They weren't really doing anything. So I just went back under the covers and went back to reading. She's like, I don't have time for this. Sometimes that's the best thing to do, honestly. Really? It, you, know, you know, it's then, you know, it could acknowledge, oh, she saw me. She's okay. ignoring me. And so, okay, that's fine. You know, I'm, I'm not really here to be mean. Yeah. I just might be scary looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes you are just too tired. One of the things I kind of like, because my kid is like a magnet for this stuff. Mm-hmm. I was as a kid as well. So... I've really got it down to a fine art for going dealing with things in the middle of the night while yep. I'm half asleep. I have I have a bag of black salt on a shelf outside her door. And so at one point it was happening so commonly and I was like so tired because like, you know, small child, sleep deprivation thing. I was just grab going in with a black salt, throwing it around, grabbing the kid, bringing the kid out, because, like, you know, let whatever disperse while, you know, bring the kid back into bed with me, not sleep because the kid would be kicking me. <laughs> she's because she's very kids. restless. Well, she's never been one to co-sleep. She's like, if yeah. she touches up against something, she attacks it in her sleep. Yeah. She's always been like this. You'll hear her kicking the hell out of her bed in the middle of the night. Yeah. It's because she turned over and hit the side. So she has to attack it. <laughs> but um, yeah, like just it's good to have those kind of processes in place. You know, because yeah. sometimes you just are tired. You yeah. know, just layer your protections, layer your processes. You're not always going to be up for that, like getting That actually reminds tools. me of the one time I had yeah. an experience with a mare. 
Um. <laughs> <laughs> is that the one you didn't take care of? Is that one so, you didn't sort out, Morgan? This was when my son was fairly young, so I was very <laughs> sleep deprived and very tired. And yeah, I have two older kids, very... Oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah. You're talking nightmare, about Mara's and like the nightmare being... Not the, no, no. I was getting, I've had, like, more, I've had horse, more than one like, experience with, with mares, <laughs> with horses. Um, no, this is the, the nightmare, the, the <laughs> night hag. Um, and I was sleeping and woke up to the sense of very strong presence. Sleep paralysis, which I've never had. Couldn't move. This feeling of terror... Mm. And then I remember having this this moment of like semi lucid awareness where I was like, "Oh, this is a mare," and and then Wait I just had this complete like yeah. like exhausted mom moment of I do not have time for this, <laughs> like like <laughs> this is, and it, it, like that fear went away, and I just sort of like pushed out energy but it was very much of this mom attitude of I, I legitimately do not mm. have time for this like I need to be sleeping while I can and it got rid of it are you are you essing me now right you picked are the you wrong right overtired now? parent to try to do this to um, the <laughs> yes. only time it happens never happened again um, but yeah that's sorry Kat your story about the tired witchcraft made me think of that yeah exhausted yep. or even like drunk witchcraft like yeah. if you if you drink alcohol like and because this stuff it, it doesn't wait till you're sober and like well like wide awake and on your business you know like it, it always waits to like get you when you're a little bit out of it and um i don't know like i tend to sober up really damn quick when things start happening mm -hmm. it'll be too. like zero it'll be like i can be drunk I and mean, i'm sober as a judge within like yeah. A minute or so like once you get that kind of like level of fear something like kicks in in your brain and you're like all right yeah right okay we're here to do this now and yep. um it's funny though i was <laughs> this is when i was a student i was drunk and i'm sitting in my living room and i'm playing you know as super you mario do. brothers as i did with my housemate back then and she's just kind of sitting on the sofa further back in the room and i'm kind of like playing on the you know video game and I noticed that it was getting cold. I was, fro I was starting to get freezing cold. But because I was drunk and I just didn't want to deal with it, I just kept moving further back in the living room like because it was like a wall of cold. So I was just kind of moving further back. <laughs> it was like, okay, it's a warm bit. Okay, I'm going to stay here for a bit now. Yep. And then it moved further and I'd move further. And I noticed my housemate moving as well. Like she was starting to go back. <laughs> so I'm both kind of going back. <laughs> and I said to her, I was like, uh, do you, did you like, uh, have you like, you know, are you, are you feeling cold? Like a wave of cold? And she's like, yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is, but like, I, I just keep yeah. moving. Cause it's like, why is it cold here? I thought it was a window, but you know, <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, for fuck's sakes. And like, right then I was just sober and I'm yeah. like, all right, yeah. okay, let's deal with this. <laughs> oh, for goodness sakes. Can I even have a drunk night playing Super Mario Brothers? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to end on that note because that's a beautiful ending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Disaster Thank witchcraft. <laughs> Thank you both. It was oh, so much fun. Yeah. Thank, Thank you for having us. Yeah. No, no you can. Me. I'm not speaking for Morgan. Yep. Morgan spoke for me at the beginning. We're balancing <laughs> out at the end. <laughs> it's fine. Is this beautiful? 
<laughs> it's this mutual stalking thing. That's a dynamic. <laughs> well, that's all for this week's episode of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you.